Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Today, we have the opportunity to hear from Chris Bacon. For the last seven years, Chris has served as our student pastor here at First Baptist Orlando. I don't know about you, but I'm almost 60, and the thought of having to figure out how to communicate in a relevant way to an 11th grader or a 9th grader uh, seems somewhat overwhelming to me. And, and I'm so glad that we have a student pastor who understands uh, Scripture and the Bible in such a way and understands the gospel in such a way to be able to explain it in relevant terms towards students. And I'm so excited for you to be able to hear from Chris. And I'm just going to ask you to help me give a great First Orlando warm welcome to Chris Bacon as he comes to share with us today. Thank you so much for that introduction, Danny. I'm really excited to share with you guys something that I think is so important and I'm so passionate about, and that's simply this idea of grace. But before I do that, I just want to thank Pastor David for this opportunity. So Pastor David, you've been my pastor for a little bit over 16 years, and you're more than a pastor to me. You're my hero. And so thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity. I also want to thank my wife, and I've got some family here with me. My wife has had to listen to this message for about three weeks, and She's already listened to it twice today. This is the last time. And so, um, but I'm really thankful for them. So this morning as we get started, I want to take you guys back to Chris Bacon in third grade. Now, how many of you can remember third grade? It's okay. You can, somebody said barely. Um, it's a, I remember third grade and I want you guys to check me out in third grade. So this is Chris Bacon in third grade. It's okay. You can laugh. I had a lot more hair back then. I'd like that hair back. Some of you can relate to that. But this is me in third grade. And, and there's a couple of things that you need to know about me in third grade. So all the way back to third grade, I was in a competitor. I mean, I loved to compete. It didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter what was happening. Anytime there was an opportunity to compete, I was ready. It didn't matter if it was checkers. didn't matter if it was four square. It didn't matter if it was lining up to go to recess. I was ready to compete. Well, this one particular time in fourth grade, we had this opportunity for all of the fastest kids in school to race. Now, I know what you're thinking. Was I really one of the fastest kids in school? I can't say yes or no, but I can tell you I was asked to be part of this race. And so I was pumped. I was ready. I was excited. I, I was getting ready for the next day when this race would take place. And when someone asked me, they said, do you want to be a part of it? I said something like this, even in third grade. I said, anytime, anywhere. Now, little did I know that the anywhere would actually be on this mixture of an asphalt park gravel basketball court that shouldn't have even have existed. I mean, this thing was like loose gravel all over the place. And so we get ready for the race and I'm ready. I'm pumped. I'm amped up. I'm excited. I can't wait to be able to prove how fast I am against all of the other fastest kids in the school. And so I'm lining up and I'm getting ready and I'm, I'm hyped up and I'm waiting for um, the, the coach that's at the finish line to say, on your mark, get set, go, because we all know all great competitors, they want to beat the go. 
Like you want to be able to jump ahead of everybody else when that go happens. And so I'm lined up, I'm ready, I'm getting like prepared and I'm waiting, I'm in my running stance. And I, as I hear on your mark, I mean, this is literally what I'm hearing as I'm about to race. And I'm getting ready and I'm excited and I'm pumped and I can't wait for the go to happen. And so here I am, I hear on your mark, get set, go and I take off and I'm running with everything I have in me and I'm out of the gate. And all of a sudden I look to my left and I see that the person to my left is starting to pass me. I'm like, this shouldn't be happening. Look to my right, I'm like, wait a second, they're passing me too. So I run as fast as my little legs actually can run. And I begin to run with everything I have in me. And then I look up to my right to see if I'm making any gains on the person to the right of me. And as I go to glance back to the finish line, instead of seeing the finish line, my eyes begin to meet the asphalt. And I go skipping across the concrete face first, like a rock skips across the lake. And do, do, do. Needless to say, I didn't make it to the finish line. I did make it to the nurse. And as I got up, I mean, I had gravel stuck in my knees and I was bloodied all over the place and blood dripping down. In fact, the nurse was actually picking gravel out of my knee for about 10 minutes, like just one rock at a time. And I need to tell you something, that Chris Bacon, who went from being this unbelievably anytime, anywhere, I'm ready for the competition, that all of a sudden I went from that to anytime somebody asked me to race, is there going to be grass? You want to race? I don't know. I got to wash my hair. It didn't matter what it was. I was looking for an excuse to get out of the race. Because at one instance, in that one moment, I had all of this fear that was created out of it. I had these wounds and these scars that were real. But it wasn't just physical. It was emotional. I was embarrassed and I was humiliated. The whole school watched me skip across an asphalt court like a rock skips across a lake. And I was so embarrassed. And I wonder how many of us, if we were to be honest this morning, that's where the race of life has left us. And you're here this morning or you're watching online. And the race of life has left you beat up, scarred, wounded. You're running with everything you had because of a pace that you created for yourself or even worse, a pace that maybe comparison created for you or a pace that someone else told you that you needed to run at. And you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're beat up physically, spiritually, emotionally. Well, that's exactly where I was 20 years ago to this day. See, when I was 17 years old, and here's a picture of me at 17, I had a lot more hair then too. And here I was at 17, and there's a couple of things that you need to know about me at 17. So there might have been a smile on my face in this picture, but the truth is I was a hurting teenager. See, growing up, I grew up in a broken home, and uh, my parents were divorced at the age of seven. And my mom and my dad, they actually struggled with drug addiction growing up. As a result of that, I went to seven different elementary schools. So if I don't say something correctly, you're just lucky I can read. I went to all of these different circumstances and all of these different scenarios. And my dad struggled 
um, a little bit more than my mom did with his addiction. And he was in and out of jail and in and out of prison as a result of that. And so he often wasn't there for me, even though he wanted to be. My mom was a single mom trying to figure out how do I make it financially? How do I overcome my addiction while raising two kids? And because of that, I had all of these emotional and spiritual scars. See, I was hurting. Much like when I picked myself up off of that asphalt in third grade, I was wounded emotionally. I was wounded spiritually. And while I was in high school, and while I was in middle school and high school, I ran after everything I could. I mean, at first I tried rebellion and the race of rebellion and going, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebel against everything that this world tells me I should do. And so I was angry and I fought often and I stole and I did anything I could to prove to the world that I could be on my own. So I ran with everything I had after the race of rebellion. And when that didn't work and I got to high school, I just said, you know what, I'm going to choose a different way. So then I ran after success, worldly success with everything I had, whether it was academic success or whether it was athletic success or popularity. And that didn't work either. But all during this time while I was in high school, I played basketball and through basketball, we were associated with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And before we would practice, our coaches would bring someone in to share the gospel with us. And they would talk about this idea that all of us, we were born with a sin nature. And as a result of being born with a sin nature, we were separated from God. And because we were separated with, from God, we needed a Savior. But the good news was that God sent His one and only Son to die on the cross. So if we would believe in Him, we could have everlasting life. And I heard that. And this is what I thought to myself every time I heard it. Well, that seems like a good story, but that's not my story. And I would go, man, the gospel seems amazing, but the truth is, I don't know how God could love me. Look at all of the mistakes I've made. Look at all of the things I've done. Look at the hundreds of ways that I've actually fallen short of what his plan is for my life. And then I thought, you know what? Does God actually love me? I mean, look at my life. Look at the things that I've walked through. Look at my parents' struggles. Look at all of these things. Could you actually love me, God? And do you actually love me? So seven times I heard the gospel and every time I, I, I rejected it. Now, during this time, God also started to bring friends into my life who started to tell me things from the Bible. And I need you guys to know something about me. I don't like anyone telling me anything. I want to find it out for myself. And so I asked my mom, um, it was December, and I asked my mom for a Bible, and she was thrilled to get me a Bible. Probably been praying for it. And so I get this Bible, and I begin to read it. Now, I need you to know something. Um, I didn't start where most people would start. Most people, when they open up the Bible, they start in the beginning of the Old Testament. Some people will start in the beginning of the New Testament. Not me. I started at the book of Job. Now, if you know anything about the book of Job, it, it's not exactly a place for somebody that's seeking to start reading. So I'm reading the book of Job. By the way, as I'm reading it, I'm telling people I'm reading the book of Job. And there's this amazing story and it, people would correct me and I would just go, don't tell me anything. Like, it's great. You just need to know. So as I'm reading the book of Job, God begins to open up to me through the power of the Holy Spirit that all of the things that I had heard about the gospel are true. As I'm reading this about Job's life, I'm reading about how even though things didn't go the way Job thought it would go, 
that at the end of the day, he was still able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And if Job could say that after everything he had walked through, the man, it had to be true. And on January 2nd, exactly 20 years to the day, 2002, right there in my bedroom, I said, Lord, I know the gospel that I've heard over and over and over again is true. And right here, right now, I'm surrendering my life to you. And I want you to come into my life and be the Lord and Savior of it. 20 years to this day, God changed my life. See, it's incredible what the gospel can do. But I need you guys to know something. When I came into a relationship with Jesus, I had all of these fears. So the first fear I had was, can I actually finish this race? Like, can I actually do this? I had these internal fears, like what if people find out about my past? What if they knew about that sin or this sin? Like, do I actually know enough? Am I smart enough? Can I actually pull this thing off? Internally, when people, when I would come to church and I would hear, turn to the book of John, I thought I left a book at home. And I was like, where, did I miss that one? And then externally, I was like, do I actually fit in? Many of you know what that's like. Like, can I look the part? Will people think I'm an imposter? I had these fears of my Bible's not as big as everybody else's. So I did the only thing I thought to do. I went and bought the biggest Bible I could find. This thing probably weighed 10 pounds. I have back issues till this day because of it. And then I looked and I realized that everybody had stuff highlighted. And I was like, well, I guess I should do that too. And I don't want anybody to look at my Bible and think like he doesn't read it. So I did the only thing I could think to do. I just highlighted everything. It's like, I don't want to miss it. I could be on the wrong page in the look. I just had this fear of, can I actually do this? This external fear, but this internal fear of, can I actually run this race? And here's the good news. 20 years later, here's what I've learned is we will fail God, but God will not fail us. So maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online and you have this fear of, can I do this? Do I have what it takes? See, the good news is, and I learned this 20 years ago, it's grace, not grit, that changes us. It's grace, not grit. See, because in the Christian life, it's grace that sets the pace. In the Christian life, it's not your grit that sets the pace. It's not your effort that sets the pace. It's grit that sets, the, it's grace that sets the pace. See, 20 years ago, I was struggling with this idea of I knew that God, I knew that grace had saved me and I knew that grace set the pace that saves me. But can I tell you, it's even better than that. Grace sets the pace that saves us, but it also sets the pace that sustains us. And oh, it gets even better than that. Because grace not only sustains us, it's also grace that changes us. So if you're here this morning and you're going, I feel like I have so far to go. You don't need to set the pace for yourself. Grace will do that. Grace sets the pace. And maybe you're here this morning and you're going, well, how can I be confident of that? That's exactly where I was 20 years ago. And in this passage that we're about to read this morning in Philippians, we see this incredible picture that the Apostle Paul 
gives us this morning of how we can have confidence, even when we have fear of, can I finish the race? How can we be confident that we will finish what God started in us? How can we be confident about that? And I have to imagine if you think about the life of Paul, going from being this persecutor of Christians to now writing two-thirds of the New Testament. I just want you to think with me for a second. How, must Paul, how, how Paul must have felt as he's being divinely inspired to write two-thirds of the New Testament, every time he writes about the grace of God, he realizes it's not just for the people he's writing to, it's also for him. He's going, this is true about me. Can you imagine that? That this persecutor of Christians, he's experiencing this grace of God, but he's also writing about it. So here's what Paul would say to us this morning about how can we be confident that we can finish the race. He would say this, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, and this is where it gets really, really good. I am sure of this. Paul doesn't say, Maybe. He doesn't say, I hope. He doesn't say, I think. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Man, that's some confidence right there. Now, how is it that Paul could say this with certainty? If you're anything like me, you're like, well, how could Paul be so certain? How could he say, I am sure of this. I am certain of this. I am convinced of this. We see this in verse 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Paul says, it's logical for me to feel this way about you all. It's the only conclusion that I can make is that the work that God started in you, he will finish. Because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In other words, Paul's saying the reason why he can say this with confidence, the reason why the only conclusion that he could come to was that what God started, he would finish, is because of grace. Because grace sets the pace. Grace sets the pace in the Christian life. It's grace, not grit. So maybe you're like me and you have a tendency when you read things in the Bible to read yourself out of the story. And you think, well, Paul was probably talking to people who are nothing like me. I mean, he was probably talking to like the Navy SEALs of spiritual people. He was probably talking to people who had it all together. He was probably talking to people who knew a lot more than me. He was probably talking to people who had much greater discipline than me. And here's the beautiful thing about the Bible. As the Bible oftentimes gives us a picture into the people that Paul was talking to. So even as he's writing this book to the church of Phil, as he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi, we know this about the church at Philippi. So Philippi was a leading city in Macedonia, but we also know that um, this leading city didn't have a synagogue because you needed to have at least back then as a Roman colony, you needed to have at least ten Jewish men in your city to have a synagogue. So we know that Philippi didn't have a synagogue, meaning that most of the people who were in Philippi weren't even religious. We also get a glimpse of some of the specific people that when Paul says you, he might have been thinking about when he wrote this letter. Now, it's not an exhaustive list. It doesn't communicate everyone, but it gives us a glimpse of some of the people that Paul might have been talking to. See, back in Acts chapter 16, as the church in Philippi is getting started, we see this picture of Lydia. 
this woman who has this experience with Paul and Silas. And here's what we know about Lydia. Lydia was a woman that sold purple goods, which meant that she was rolling in money. I mean, she was making bank because purple goods were really valuable back then. She was probably a little bit like um, a fashionista, so she might have been like Chanel. See, we get this unbelievable picture here of who Lydia was. She was religious, but she wasn't a believer. She was probably living her life a lot like you and I maybe at certain points. She was probably living her life by grit. And she was beat up, searching, seeking, trying to figure out the best way to do this. She was probably a lot like me at 17. And we know that she has this encounter where the Holy Spirit opens her heart to the gospel and her life is changed. But then we also see in Acts chapter 16 that Paul and Silas have this encounter with this slave girl who's demon-possessed. And she has the ability to be able to tell the future. And that's one of the reasons why her slave owners, they're making so much money off of her. They're profiting off of her ability to tell the future. And Paul and Silas have this encounter with her where ultimately Paul commands that the demon inside of her would be, um, that the demon inside of her would get out. And her life is drastically changed by that moment. But then we also see that the jailers who threw Paul and Silas into prison, that they had an encounter with God. See, the jailers, they woke up to an earthquake and the prison doors were open and they thought to themselves, oh no, like Paul and Silas have probably left and in their minds, they were thinking this is the end for us because it would have been the customs of the law would have been that they would have lost their lives because of the fact that the, that the prisoners escaped. But to their surprise, Paul and Silas were still there preaching the gospel to them and their lives were changed as a result of it. And so the truth for all of us is, is that as we read this in um, Philippians, that grace is for everyone, everywhere. The gospels for everyone, everywhere. So as we read this today, as we hear Paul say that I am confident that he who began to good work in you will finish it to completion until the day that Christ Jesus returns, that news, it's for you and it's for me and it's for everyone because the gospel and grace is for everyone, everywhere. Why? Because in the Christian life, grace sets the pace. See, this morning, you and I, we can be confident that grace will set the pace for God to work in you. We know that the Bible tells us that God gives us new identity and new desires and new purposes. Zach Spurgeon says it this way. He says that the Christian life is one miracle after another. And God is working in you even when you don't see it, even when you don't recognize it, even when you can't believe it, he's working in you. But it's even better than that because grace sets the pace for God to work in you, but grace also sets the pace for God to work through you. See, we see this in the life of Lydia. In Acts 16, it says that Lydia's life was not just changed by the gospel, but her whole household was converted. We see this in the life of the jailers, that they went from giving Paul and Silas wounds to caring for them. And by the way, it says that their whole households were converted. See, the gospel is for everyone, everywhere, because grace is for everyone, everywhere. 
My dad, I shared with you at the beginning that he was a lifetime drug addict. And need you guys to know something. When he was at the age of 48, he was scheduled to spend about five years in prison. And when you're 48 and about to spend five years in prison, that's, that's a really difficult thing. But something happened several years before that moment. See, several years before that moment, while he was in a crack house, he met a man named Mel Jones. Mel is on the left. I actually call him Uncle Mel. My dad is on the right. Now, Mel and my dad met inside of a crack house. They were doing drugs together and um, they became friends while they were there and they looked out for each other while they were in the crack house because it's not exactly the safest place in the world. And while they were in the crack house, this friendship formed. Now, I need you to know something that Mel, a couple years after they met, he had this encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his life. And God began to work in him. But you know what? Grace always happens in us, so it can happen through us. We see this all throughout scripture. And Mel, the gospel began to work in his life and grace began to work in his life. And Mel had this passion that it wasn't just gonna be his life that was changed. He wanted to change other people's lives. And so Mel had this passion that he was going to start a faith-based drug rehabilitation center in New Orleans, Louisiana, called Bethel Colony South. So Mel gives his life to Christ. His life is radically transformed, and he starts this drug rehabilitation center. And as my dad's about to go to prison, Mel goes back to the judge who sentenced him and says, hey, would you, would you do this for me? Would you give me an opportunity to just have um, Ronald Bacon be a part of my um, rehab center? And he can come, and if it doesn't work out, we'll send him right back, and he can, he can fulfill his sentence that you've given him. And the judge somehow said, yes, I'll allow that. Now, I've got to be honest, I was afraid that he would choose prison over rehab because he knew it was faith-based and he wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. But somehow they were able to convince him that this was a good option and a good opportunity for him. So he goes into this rehab center, which the humor of God is, my dad who, after I became a Christian, always told me, hey, I'm really proud of your faith story, but I want nothing to do with it. And um, I don't want you to give me Bible studies all the time. Don't worry about that. That now he's in this faith-based recovery program and in only the way that God could, all day long he has to sit through Bible studies. And while he's there, one night, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And he has this amazing encounter with Christ. And he gives his life to Jesus. And he calls me and he says, Chris, you'll never believe this, but tonight the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I said, actually, I can believe it. He said, I gave my life to Jesus today. Now, the unbelievable thing about that is, is that God used a man named Mel Jones. See, God took, see, grace took a crack house and it made it a lighthouse. And he can take your house and do the same. See, God will take the messes of your life and he'll make the messages. He'll take the broken pieces of your life and he'll make the masterpieces. He'll take the things you're ashamed of and he'll make the ministries. 
He'll take the places of your life you hope no one would ever know about. And he'll use those to be a city on a hill, declaring light to all who hear. God took a crack house and made it a lighthouse. He can take your house and do the same. I shared with you guys at the beginning a story that was humiliating about being in third grade and just basically sliding across asphalt and the fear that that created in me every time that I would race after that. And I know what that fear is like. And several years later, I was in middle school and I had a coach there that was named Coach Jasper. And um, he had seen me play basketball and he came to me and he said, hey, I'm the coach of the track team. And I noticed that you're kind of fast. He didn't say really fast. He said, I noticed you're kind of fast. And I need, a, I need a, somebody to be on the track team. Like I need more people to participate. So would you come out? And I was like, I, I don't know. Like, is there grass? He's like, no, 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 I need you to come out. Like, I think you'll do really well. And so I go out for the track team and I start running and he pulls me aside and he says, Chris, I, I, something's, something's off with you. Something's wrong with you. And I said, well, I know I'm a middle school boy. There's a lot wrong with me. Isn't it? No, no. I mean, when I watch you race, it's weird. I see you looking to the person to the left of you. I see you looking to the person to the right of you. I even see you kind of slowing down. Like I've seen you run before. You're faster than you're running. I was like, thanks coach. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just watch me. I'm going to be at the finish line and I'm going to tell you how fast to run. I'm going to tell you when to speed up. I'm gonna tell you what pace to run at. I just want you to watch me. I don't want you to watch the person to the left of you. I don't want you to watch the person to the right of you. I don't even want you to listen to the voice inside of you. I just want you to watch me. So here I am and we're in practice and I'm like, okay, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. So he said, on your mark, get set, go. And I take off and I'm running with everything I have. I'm just focusing on him. And can I tell you something? As I focused on him, my fear went away. As I focused on him, the comparison trap went away. Listen to me, that's exactly what grace does for us. That's exactly what grace does for you and I. See, it's not grit that sets the pace. It's not other people that set the pace for us. Grace sets the pace and that day, that coach became a voice of saving grace, sustaining grace and changing grace for me. And grace will do the same for you and grace will do the same for me because grace tells us that even when we fall down, we can get back up. Grace tells us even in our worst moment that we're not defined by it because we're defined by the best moments of Christ's life, not our life. Grace reminds us that even in moments when insecurity sets in, that our security is not based on us, but based on Him. Grace reminds us that in moments when we think we have left nothing left, that we can keep going. Grace reminds us that in moments when we think we have nothing to offer to the church or to other people, that He can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Grace reminds us when we're ready to hang it up that we can keep going. Grace is a voice that saves us, sustains us, and changes us. See, that day that coach became that for me, and I wanna encourage you today. 
If you're tired of running at a pace that's been set for you by someone else or for yourself, that it's grace, not grit, that sets the pace. See, 20 years ago today, the gospel changed my life. And today as we close, if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never had a moment in your life when Jesus became the Lord and Savior of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that gospel. I want to plead with you. 20 years ago to this day, January 2nd, 2002, my life was changed forever. I know what it's like to think I'm not good enough. I know what it's like to think this isn't for me. But can I tell you, the gospel's for everyone, everywhere. Grace is for everyone, everywhere. And in a second, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to that gospel. But if you're here today and you know Christ, I just wanna ask this question. If grace is setting the pace in your life, what would it call you to do? What would it say to you? Maybe, maybe it's join a group for the first time. Maybe it's commit to reading the Bible. Maybe it's to share the gospel with a friend. Let grace set the pace in your life. Would you bow with me as we pray? Jesus, I wanna pray for the people who are here or watching online who have never had a moment in their life when they place their trust and their faith in you. If that's you, I just want you to pray this simple prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves us. It's the acknowledgement in our heart that this is true. And it simply goes like this. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of grace. I know that you sent your one and only son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And today I'm placing my trust and faith that you paid that penalty for me so I wouldn't have to pay it for myself. And I'm confessing with my mouth and my heart that you are the boss, the Lord and the savior of my life. Now, for all of us who have a relationship with Jesus, God, would you help us set our eyes to the author, perfecter, and finisher of our faith who reminds us of the grace that we have that saves us, sustains us, and changes us. First Orlando, let this be the year. My prayer is that we would let grace set the pace. It's in your perfect and your precious and your holy name we pray, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share today. If you wanna find out how you can take your best next step or if you prayed that prayer with me and you're looking for someone to connect with you, we would love nothing more than to have the opportunity to connect with you. You can text 
connect to 40777. Thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity to share as we leave today on your mark, get set. First Orlando, let grace set the pace. Thank you so much. You guys have a blessed day. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.